All right, everybody. Welcome back. Um, that's the easiest way to do it, maybe. So, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Got some questions I wanted to get answered. I'm sure I get my microphone in the right spot so you can hear me. All right, let's get right to it. I own KMI and WMG. I'm guessing he's meant WNB, and that's a typo. Uh, both yield 7.4% at the time of the question, but it seems Williams gets a lot more love for the market than KMI. Am I correct about that? And do you have a preference between the two as I own them both on my Roth? It could sell one or the other without suffering a tax. That's an interesting question. Um, so I think... I think I have to disagree that Williams gets a lot more love because um, they're both trading on the yield, right? So they're both yielding the same, which means their price to their dividend is roughly the same. Uh, and they traded uh, that way for quite some time. And a lot of the space is trading at 7, 8, 9, 10% dividend yields currently. Um, if, I, if, if I had to pick one, I honestly don't know the answer to that. Um, Let me tell you why. What I like about owning both is that by doing that, I touch 70% of the natural gas in the U.S. Um, If I do that, I touch about 35%. My macro opinion is that natural gas is going to increase in usage. So any decline we see in oil and coal, the majority of that replacement energy will come from natural gas, not renewables. Um, Do I think at some point in time, renewables are going to become a major part? Yeah, sure, probably. Um, But I think that's decades away. Um, And I think that as we decrease our use of oil for things like heating, um, so this, this... that just triggered something. This is the this is the lunacy in regulators. The Northeast, especially when you go from Rhode Island, Connecticut up through through uh, I can't speak for New York State, but you go to Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Heating oil is still a significant source of home heating. Significant. And that's not going down. You want to know why environmentalists? Because every effort to block, to, to bring in pipelines for natural gas into the area that could replace oil, which is far dirtier than natural gas for energy, far dirtier, has been blocked by who? Environmentalists. So here's the lunacy of regulators environmentalists. They are blocking a clean energy source and keeping oil there by blocking the pipelines, which is filthy compared to natural gas for home heating. It's filthy. It's so bad in the Northeast that new natural gas hookups in certain parts of New York City and certain parts of New England are not allowed because they can't get enough gas there. So what do they use? They're not using solar. They're not using wind. They're using heating oil. So think about that, environmentalists. Next time you want to make an argument about 
filthy things. You're not even doing what you can do to get... The low-hanging fruit is changing over millions and millions of homes in the Northeast that use heating oil. That's the low-hanging fruit to help clean up the environment. Throw a couple pipelines in, run natural gas, good to go. You get a fraction of the emissions, but we don't do that. Sorry, rant over. So, I think natural gas continues to grow. And I think that while... Kinder Morgan is at the front of the, you know, Houston Ship Channel, the processing facilities on Texas, processing facilities in Texas and Galveston. They are the monster in that space. Liquefied natural gas, boom, with Elba Island, with what they got in there, they're the king. But a lot of the growth in natural gas is coming from the southeast. And Williams has a good spot there. So I guess my ultimate realization would be the two of these merge into one. I don't know if regulators would allow that or antitrust would come in. They'd probably have to dispose of a bunch of assets. But honestly, I can think of a bunch of assets they could both get rid of. They could keep that dominance in natural gas. I don't know if it's possible. But they both have different strengths. They're both the dominant entity in those areas so I, I just like owning them both so if I had to choose I would say sell half of one buy half of the other you kind of get both you kind of get that benefit of both I guess that's the way I look at it if I had to um, Kinder Morgan is buying back a lot of stock Kinder Morgan does have massive insider ownership the largest individual shareholder is their chairman that matters to me you know, any decision that's made is going to be made for shareholders since management owns a ton of it. You don't normally see a company that says a Kinder Morgan with the ownership that um, uh, Kinder Morgan has, the management ownership Kinder Morgan has, insider ownership, um, especially an energy company that's been around for this long. Uh, typically, management holds very small or almost immaterial stakes. Um... Yeah, so I, I really can't choose one. You know, I guess if you put... Yeah, I can't. Um, I'd like to increase my exposure to oil as a hedge against inflation and increase exposure to commodity, to commodities, commodities. I currently own TPL up 70%. Any reason to own any other oil play or just more TPL? Uh, for me... So... Oh, sorry. So for me, um, I think the oil majors have boatloaded debt they got to deal with. I mean, massive amounts. I think you'll see consolidation in the space and then a shedding of a bunch of assets. So I don't... I guess the way I look at it is I'm kind of energy top-heavy already, although Kingdom Morgan is the most energy transport. You have TPL, which just basically owns the land the oil sits under. Um, I, I personally don't really have... I know some of the energy names are getting some love lately now that oil price is going back up. Um, but I think the oil price rise is kind of a temporary thing. Um, I don't think we're you know in store for a $60, $70 oil for long term. Um, now, by short term, I'm not talking weeks. I'm talking maybe six, seven, eight, nine months. Uh, a lot of drilling was shut down during COVID, during the shutdowns. Uh, so obviously, you know, you stop drilling for six to nine months, there's going to be ramifications on the other side of that. Supply 101. 
demand is coming back, supply is not because of you know the, the shutdowns. So um, I don't know. I yeah, Exxon looks interesting. Um, you know they've done really well lately. I just for me with the amount I own already in the oil space, I'm I'm comfortable with what I have. Have you considered any other public cannabis events beside IPR? I like True Leave. I like Juicy Holdings. They're good companies. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more. Like, I would stay away from Aurora. I would stay away from the Tilrays. They're just... I don't believe that they're as well run as... If I had to pick two that are the best Rowan Holdings, I'd say Juicy Holdings and uh, True Leaf are probably the best run... Uh, cannabis companies uh, right now. True Leave is branching out of Florida uh, in a pretty aggressive rate, which gets them away from it being a pure medical play like they are in Florida. Uh, Florida doesn't have adult use legal yet, so um, and Kim Rivers is a is a good C, good good strong CEO. So uh, I think if I was going to look seriously at the space, I'd look there. But again, cannabis stocks do tend to trade slightly in concert with each other. And I have a significant position in IPR. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I might look at the other two. Let's see what the Senate does with the MORE Act, right? Um, if the Senate takes up the MORE Act and doesn't make significant changes to it, I could see a lot more money coming flooding into the sector, especially in the public companies, uh, to allow them to make more acquisitions. So I think that, uh, you know, those well-run companies will get the lion's share of that money or at least get that money on very good terms or superior terms to the rest of the industry, and that could set them up for success down the road. So it kind of remains to be seen on that. Um, first off, I cannot thank you enough. You're welcome. I greatly appreciate your insight in my over 135% gain in SRG, 127% HHC, 225% in IIPR, 145% TPL, etc., etc. 61% Williams, 5% in KMI. I have transferred my Roth IRA for the past two years. It looks like it will catch up to my 403B at this rate. My wife and I are both educators, and we stand to retire in 10 years with millions on top of our pensions. Congratulations. That's amazing. Good for you. Questions. This is, this is the questions for that comment. I have been raising cash for a possible dip. I hear other noise of even a worse recession in 2008 due to many sector bubbles. Not sure how much stock I should take in this. I, so... I've been pretty consistent and said all along that I don't think um, what we're going to see is a 2008-type event. Uh, and the reason I say that is because uh, consumers and even corporate balance sheets were much, much more prepared uh, than they were in 2008-2009. 2008-2009 was such an issue because you had several things. You had asset bubbles and... You had debt bubble. You had per, you had a bubble in personal finance debt. You had a bubble in corporate debt, right? Debt to equity ratios uh, in the in both the personal and the corporate were horrible going to the 0809. So when sales slowed, when incomes dropped, and the bills came due, there was nothing to pay it. When the credit card payments came due, when the housing mortgage payments came due, people couldn't pay them because they didn't have the money or the equity to tap in their assets to be able to acquire the debt or find somebody to make those payments. Uh, that's not the case now. Uh, personal balance sheets are in great shape. Uh, uh, 
um, corporations were very smart over the last couple of years and gobbled up a lot of debt at one, two, three, four percent interest rates uh, instead of the seven to ten percent they were paying before 0809. Um, their balance sheets are in much better shape. They can survive a much more drastic downturn uh, as far as a recession uh, than that. And you know, I think the government learned from 0809 and immediately pumped what trillions or saying not trillions into the system to keep people afloat, which didn't happen in 0809. Um, you know, we had never experienced anything low weight like 0809 in, in modern. I mean, the Great Depression we did, but I think if we're being honest, uh, the Great Depression, for those of you that studied it, uh, the Great Depression started as a, um, a, a stock market event and grew to be much larger, larger because of a really a, a weather event. You know, the... The, the drying of the plains and the destruction of millions of acres of farmland uh, not only caused a stock, not only did not cause it, but there was a stock market crash. Then you had this simultaneously. You had food shortages because cities could get no food because farmland was disappearing by the day. Um, it's, it's a very interesting, so many people think the Great Depression was solely about the stock market. The stock market was a contributing factor, but it was not a major factor as to what happened. You know, there was no homeowners insurance back then. There was no, there was no uh, relief for homeowners. People just lost everything and packed up. When the, what was it called? The, um, oh, there's actually a, there's actually a great uh, documentary on it. I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, but, but, you know, there were the dust, the dust bowl, the dust bowl of the 1930s, late, late 1930s when, Millions of acres of farmlands are lost, and the grass, the ground was literally getting picked up. And you could see in Chicago, you could see the cloud of dust coming from the farmlands off in the distance. There was so much dust in the air, and dust was settling in, in cities thousands of miles away. Most people don't know this or think it's a, a little part of history, but that basically wiped out the middle of our country economically. Those people all went east and west into the cities where there was no food because the farmland was being destroyed. So it was, there was a lot of contributing factors in the Great Depression. What led to that? It wasn't just a stock market crash. So to get back to your question, I don't see that. I think, if anything, right now the government overreacted, right? Because they, they remember 2008, 2009. So I think they pretty much overreacted. I would be more concerned um, coming out of this if we don't have a recession uh, some sort of inflationary event or something. We're already seeing it in a lot of areas. Um, you know, for those of you who are seeing, uh, you know, Canadian real estate, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal either today or yesterday uh, about Canadian real estate, people flipping houses for 20, 30% gains in six months. Um, that should not happen with a housing asset, right? The housing market, you have comps, you have areas, you have solid pricing, right? This home with two bedrooms, you know, four bedrooms, three and a half baths with a basement, 2,500 square feet in this neighborhood should sell for X. If it has some upgrades, it sells for Y. But that's the area. Housing prices shouldn't be jumping 28% in three months. They shouldn't jump that in two, three years. So there's things out there happening um, that imply a lot of excess capital. Uh, for those of you who are into collectibles, you know, Nike sneaker prices, all-time high. Trading cards, baseball cards, hockey cards, football cards, trading at all-time highs. Uh, there's a lot of that going on right now. But that doesn't mean we have a full-out recession. 
That doesn't mean we have a crash. It could mean we just stagnate for two or three years while everything else catches up, right? I mean, there's different scenarios that come out. Not all of them are bad. So I don't think, I don't see a 2008 type event. You know, do I see a scenario where the stock market drops 20% or 10 to 20% in a year? Yeah, I do. Um, do I see a scenario where inflation starts running away? The Fed, ha- the Fed has to get ahead of it and zap rate hikes before everyone thinks they do, and that causes a severe market correction? Yeah, I do. I do see that. Are we in a massive bond bubble? I mean, people are buying bonds at negative yields, which is you're basically locking in losing money um, because they don't want to put it in the bank and at least, I don't know, I don't know. Um, yeah, there is a huge bond bubble in a lot of areas. So um, I don't see a crash, though. I just, I think it's going to last. I think um, I think we have, you know, we could have a recession I think the market could correct severely or sharply. And I'm not, I'm not talking 30 40% or 50% like the Dow dropped in 08, 09. I'm talking 10 to 20%. That, you know, look what we've gone back. If we get a 10% drop in the Dow, I mean, there's a whole generation of Robinhood traders that haven't seen that, right? 08, 09 was 13 years ago. There's a generation of investors out there who have only seen what we've seen in the last 10, 12 years which is a steadily rising market that goes up a little bit every year, has a great year, maybe it goes down 4 or 5% a year, but then goes right back up. They've never known consecutive years of losses or 20% losses for an entire year. You know, I saw something today, the Robinhood traders, like the most frequently asked questions are some of the most basic investing questions you could ever have, which means these people aren't long money. The second the market tanks, they're getting out. They're going to cost the tank anymore. They're just, they're just along for the ride right now. It's not dedicated money. So... Um, I think the hysteria over something like that will be really funny to watch. Uh, and it could lead to sharper drops in prices as people panic and freak out. This is 0809 all over again, right? Because every, every market drop is compared to 0809. Um, and every market drop, and I hate when the media does this, they say, oh, this is the largest point drop in history. I know, but, but percentage-wise, it's like the 20th or 30th, right? So let's, let's be honest, folks. Just because the Dow drops 1,000 points, a thousand points today, right? It's it's not nearly what it was. Um, it's three three percent. You know, ten twelve years ago, it was a ten percent drop. So you know, put everything in perspective when you see that. Don't let the media. Honestly, when the market drops like that, if you could do one thing, to turn the fucking TV off and don't listen to anything the media says, because all they're trying to do is make you panic. Panic sells, whether it's riots in the street, people in government offices, stock market crashing sports whatever it is panic and fear sells so they will stoke that as hard as possible so here's what you do they start dropping out you turn off your goddamn tv when you own you have stocks that you own that you like when they get cheap enough you buy more that's the playbook we followed here for years and it's worked out spectacularly uh srg what are your current thoughts and insights and have we made some great gains here should we pull any off the table i think they have years of development in front of them with the sears properties um they have a ton of development for them. And remember, they're converting this rent from $4 a square foot at Sears to 13 to $20 a square foot for other retailers. So they have a lot of that ahead of them still. I, I have no, no interest in pulling money off the table with them anytime soon. I think that they have a long runway ahead of them. Uh, I think they did the right thing by suspending the dividend to invest in the properties to get this going faster and faster and faster 
Do I think the share price would be higher today if they had a dividend? Probably. But do I think it would do much better in the next four or five years in that stock because they're doing what they're doing? Absolutely. I absolutely do. Uh, KMI. Seems like seems like it's still a good price to add and has a decent dividend. You see this dipping if and when the government pulls the purse strings on the economy. It really, it shouldn't, but it really trades with the price of oil and oil demand. So as long as, as, long as oil demand and natural gas demand isn't cratering, they're going to put up solid results. Will the stock dip 5%, 10%? Sure, probably. I mean, it does it pretty regular anyway. Um, but I have, you know, I, I, if I look back at all of the holdings now, I think my my blended yield now is probably 6 to 7.5%. I haven't looked at it in a while, but I will. Um, I have no... You know, if you can, you can earn 6 to 10% cash every year, and if you look at IAPR... You know, those who bought when, when we bought a couple of years ago, I mean, we're getting 14% a year back in cash on that investment from the dividend. Um, that's a really powerful thing. You know, if you have a, a $100,000 investment, you're getting $14,000 a year back in cash from that investment to reinvest in that or other things. That, that will really add to your gains. You won't know it. And it's, here's the thing about dividend income. It, it, it doesn't make a splash. You know, you don't watch it every day. You don't watch the stock price go up and down. You know, the returns of stock prices don't count dividends, right? You know, if you look at your year-to-date, it doesn't count doesn't count the money you've been paying dividends. It counts the stock price year-to-date. It, it, it really, dividends are like a, they're like a hidden gold mine that people don't really... When you get a good, solid, growing dividend that's, that's a high yielder, it's hard for me to really want to sell it. If you think about it this way, you got a half million dollar portfolio. You put a hundred thousand dollars in IAPR, KMI, Williams, and pick another one. Oh, I don't know at this point. Bank of America, right? That's roughly that's roughly thirty thousand dollars a year in cash to reinvest. That that's a great thing. It's a great thing. Um, so. Yeah, do I see it dipping if, if, if demand add? Yes. Does that mean I'm going to sell it? No. Would I probably add more? If it, if it drops again and I can lock in a 10% yield on that sucker, I'm going to buy more. I mean, it, you know, I, I, I've built up a lot of cash over the last two years on my portfolio. I've sold a few things, but most of it's come from the dividends of some of these stocks. Compass Diversified Holding, 13% annual yield. We're getting off that in the, in the distribution. Yeah, it's been flat for a few years, but again, if you can make 13% a year in cash paid to you in an investment, I fail to see how that's a problem. I really do. Um, personal 40B3 question if you have time. I'm not a pro interpreting stock market, so I was curious if you would take on any of us that are locked into 403B mutual funds or bonds for our deferred compensation. I've pulled out of as much of my tech mutual, large cap mutual, consumer statements, and real estate, and a small cap. Energy banking, consumer discretionary, some air air transportation and bonds. Any thoughts would be appreciated. I don't. Okay. Um, so this is kind of a weird question because I don't do investment advice. This is what I would do personally if this was me. The majority of mutual funds will underperform the S and P every single year, and they will do so dramatically. In any six to eight month period or one to two year period, you're going to have some that really outperform. They are not the same ones year after year after year. Which means depending on the small, depending on the mutual funds you are able to choose from, 
yours may not ever be in that group that outperforms the market on a regular basis. I think Buffett's advice for that kind of stuff is the best, that you buy S&P index fund or you buy a NASDAQ index fund and you just let it go. And it will do better over time than all the mutual funds out there. There's probably, and I don't know this, I'm guessing, but based on what I've seen, um, there's probably, over the last 10 years, there's probably three to four mutual funds that have beaten the market consistently over that time. Remember, it has to be consistently. It can't be one of these mutual funds that, I don't know, bought into GameStop three weeks ago, bought into GameStop in January, made 300%, go, oh, look at our 10-year track record. We are we're beat the S&P by 10%, right? Well, no, what did you do? One, one, three year, three years, five years, and ten years. Because if your five years sucked, let's be honest. You and I both know everyone on this phone. If after five years this mutual fund sucking wind, and not even beating the market, you're going to get rid of it. So you're going to miss that freak thing on the upside. Same things conversely. Maybe they had a freak thing at the beginning. You invested. Next three to five years, they just sucked wind, and you sold them. Well, their five year returns are going to beat the market or be what the market is. But you need to look at what the you need to look at what the annual returns are and look and say, okay, if this thing lost 5% every year for four years before they went up 40%, I wouldn't still be in it after four years. I would have sold it. So I would just say, if it was me, I would, you know, if there's, a, if there's, a, if there's, a, if there's a, an ability to get an index fund or something like that, that's, that's what I would do. Um, typical S&P, boom. Um, I don't, like a new question. I don't understand Bitcoin. I don't think I've ever understood Bitcoin. But have you found a way to short put option it where you can buy very little towards it going down and making a massive return? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't. I haven't heard of options on Bitcoin, and I don't know if you can sell it short. And I really wouldn't recommend it. Um, not because I think it's a great asset class or a great investment. Um, I wouldn't recommend... As far as I'm concerned, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a money order on currency, right? Um, at the end of the day, Bitcoin is priced in dollars, it's converted to dollars the majority of the time, and used of purchasing. Yes, there are simple, some people who purchase things with Bitcoin, but you're not going to your grocery store and, and buying groceries with Bitcoin. You're not, it's, just, it's just not happening. At the end of the day, it's a it's a it's a money order. It may not be at some point, but you know until until we stop pricing it in dollars, dollars are the reserve currency. The Bitcoin finance can say whatever they want, but it's it's not a reserve currency. It's priced in dollars or pounds or lira or whatever. It's a money order on that currency where you live. That's what it is. Um, that being said. Um, there was a time where people once paid the equivalent today of tens of thousands of dollars for a single tulip bulb, um, right? There were hookers in Vegas who owned five houses in 2008, 2009, and they had nowhere near the income to pay for those houses. Um, things like this happen, and, you know, it, I call it a runaway train, right? You get these runaway trains with investments, and while the one runaway train will eventually crash and burn, it'll run over anything's in its tracks until that time. So, you know, I, I, you know, trying to short Bitcoin for me is like, you know, pissing in the wind and getting mad because you're wet. Uh, you know, that being said, I do really like the idea of finding a way to short it. Uh, 
cheaply minimizing your risk or having least defined risk. This is the most I can lose and seeing what happens. So I will look into that because um, it's interesting. And that would be something that I think would be good to do. Um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's, you know, I, I've never paid $60,000 for a mail order, for a, a money order, and that's that's what I is. I'm sure there's going to be people who have lots of different opinions on that and think I'm crazy and I've made a ton of money on it. If you have, congratulations. I'm very, very happy for you. Um, another question. Please let us know your thoughts on TPL. Would you still be adding here? Looks like Horizon Connect just keeps buying. Yeah, well, so um, if you remember the original um, the original thesis on TPL was that it was it was oil's landlord that they had a special you know a special situation investing they're doing the, doing the they were coming in as a C corp then they were transfer I'm mean, sorry as a trust going to a C corp we said they're going to add it to the indexes of the ETFs and mutual funds are going to, have to add them now because they're a C corp they couldn't hold trust before so that was going to cause the stock price we got a double gift when Biden came in and stopped all drilling on federal lands. The Permian Basin is the most active drilling site in the U.S. right now. It is the Saudi Arabia of oil for the U.S., the Permian Basin. So a significant part of that is in New Mexico, but that is on federal lands. So there'll be no more drilling, no more drilling permits granted on that land for the next four years. So that means they have to go south out of New Mexico or east out of New Mexico into Texas. Who owns that land right there? TPL. So it was it was it was not it, part of the original thesis was that it is the most active drilling area in the US and that they'd benefit from the long term we need our oil and with that comes gas. So the gas companies are going out there and Kinder Morgan and Williams put massive pipelines out there to take some of the gas away that the oil guys are, are, are generating. It wasn't that Biden would win and ban federal drilling. That was a gift from the Biden administration. Thank you very much, Joe. So um, I think that has much more upside. If I think it's massively overvalued or whatever, I would be happy to pull the plug on it. We've made some great gains in it. And uh, I think there's plenty more to be had. Murray Stahl's buying every day. Uh, you know, I, I think he'll just keep buying till he owns as much as he can get his hands on it. People just stop selling it to him. But uh, I think, um, yeah, I, it's, it's a great investment. It's a great find. Hat tip to reader John who alerted me to it. Um, and the the thesis it took a little longer to play out than we thought because of the the fight previous management put up over the change from a trust to a C corp. Um, you know, then just the doing that with COVID hit, that took a lot longer to accomplish. So, I mean, I think if we're being honest, it probably took a good six to nine months longer than we thought to accomplish all that, but it got done. We're sitting on nice gains right now. It's just creeping higher every day. And um, I don't, you know, uh, I think they're in a really good spot. And I think they have better management now than they ever have to maximize the value of that asset base. You know, um, one of the best lines I've ever heard in investing um, was when management was bragging about the stock price return in TPL, which was amazing over the last 10 years. 
Um, and I don't know who it was. It might have been someone from Stahl's group. It may not have been. Um, but they flatly came out and said, you know, look, you, you inherited quite possibly some of those valuable land in the U.S. that allowed people to draw and take oil. You know, um, you didn't do much to maximize the value. And they equated it to being born into a family of billionaires doesn't make you a genius because you have money, right? So I think the point was that you would have done amazing with that company just coming in and letting oil companies do what they want to do. Um, if you found ways to maximize the revenue from those or kind of lay things out better, um, that there could be a lot more money to be made. And I think we have that encouraged management, especially with the additions to the board of directors. Um, I think it was Eric Oliver was his name. So I do think that we're in, we're in good shape. So I would, I plan on holding it. I don't plan on getting rid of it anytime soon. Um, you know, it's it's a solid investment. It'll pay a nice dividend this year. They're going to get in lots of cash. So, um, yeah, I really wouldn't stress about that too much. So, um, so yeah, I need to make sure I copy these questions because I know some of you have said I read too fast, and I um, I do apologize for that. That is a fact. Um, um, so I will make sure I put these on the website. And I'll get this up. So that's all I have uh, for this week. Um, please keep sending questions because I just think it makes these podcasts, you know, infinitely better if I'm asking specific questions people have instead of just, uh, you know, babbling about what I think you want to hear each week. So I hope everyone has a great week this week and I'll be back soon.